Uh, Father's Day is a lot of fun uh, in many ways for me, um, not just because I'm a father, but I did some reading this week and came across a really fun article uh, written um, by NPR and talked about dad jokes. Do you know what dad jokes are? I I know most students' hands are raised. Uh, Dad jokes are, it's my kind of humor. It's the kind of stuff you find on a popsicle stick. Uh, And I want you to know it's not just uh, common people like me. Presidents uh, offer dad jokes. In fact, last Thanksgiving, President Obama, at the pardoning of the turkey um, uh, moment, he said that he uh, does dad jokes um, to kind of torture his own girls. And he said uh, he was going to offer some that day, that which were going to be a corny copia of bad things. I'm so glad you got Good. It's sometimes hard to hear if you're not reading it at the same time. Um, then he went on to, to just kind of drone about bad jokes. Um, there, there's one, uh, here goes, I'm going to try my, my hand at it. Why did not the melons get married? Because they can't elope, you're right. You guys are good, that, that's the type of dad joke, okay? Alright, I, I think you, you've learned by now, I have to work really hard to be funny. It's, uh, it's an effort for me. Um, but you know, laughter is so good. I've got a lot of different pictures in my office. And, uh, or maybe not a lot, but I have some. Uh, one is a picture, it's a Byzantine picture of Jesus. And uh, he's uh, standing there, very stern pose, and uh, just a wonderful image. It kind of, it helps for me at least draw me into the seriousness of God and uh, the, the work of God and uh, the holiness of God. It just kind of draws my mind's eye there. But I have another picture that I brought with me. You want to see it? It's called The Laughing Jesus. I don't know if you can see that very well, but it's kind of a look, a semi-profile Jesus with his head cocked back, and he's laughing like he's burst into uproarious laughter. And uh, what I love about this picture is that it reminds me about God's joy. Part of the nature of God is a joy-filled God. Now, I'm never told in Scripture that Jesus laughed, but I think the way that he interacted with people... Um, I think there's a lot of humor in the way that he did things. And uh, whether he laughed or not, I don't know. But I do believe very deeply that Jesus, as God in the flesh, demonstrated his joy. You know, laughter is so great because it also reminds us of the things in which we delight, right? We, we take delight in people or in certain things and we, we respond with laughter. And it also reminds us of love because we love the things in what... We delight in. And certainly the Bible reminds us over and over again that God delights in His children. That His children are those whom He loves to sing over and to draw to Himself. The Bible describes, we've had it read already today, that uh, God has lavished His love over us and He showers His goodness down on us. God is a loving Father. God is a loving Father. If you have your Bibles, open them to Romans chapter 8. I want to read a few verses together. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 17. Thinking for a few moments today about God being a loving Father. And what that means in our life. And how might we embrace the idea that we, that you, are the beloved of God. That you are God's beloved. Here's what the Bible says. We're going to pick up. Kind of jumping into the middle, and I'm going to just uh, summarize uh, verse chapters 7 and 8 for us. But let's read these verses. Romans 8, chapter 12, uh, 
Chapter 8, verse 12. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. Now, if I tried to summarize in my own words, chapter 7 and 8, because it's kind of hard sometimes to just plop right into the middle of a, a, just a stream of thought. And here's, here's what I came up with. When you give your life over to the love and leadership of Jesus, God's Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. With the Spirit's help, you are cleansed from sinful patterns that really mess you up and ultimately kill you. And you now experience God's new life of purity. Your relating to God develops into a relationship that enjoys Him as the loving Father that He truly is. So, I'm not going to take time to repeat that. If you're interested, I'm happy to email it to you. But I want us to think together for a few moments about God being a loving Father. And that's so important because if we start and end with God being a mere creator or a ruler over His creation, that's, that's good. He's certainly not less than that, but He's also more than that because God is a Father. The Bible in the Old Testament over and over again describes God and His relationship to His people as one of being a father to them. And His people are children to Him. And the Father loves them. Jesus, when we are introduced to the person of Jesus, especially in John's Gospel, one of the ways that Jesus describes and talks about and in His most intimate prayers with the Father are, uh, is that language of Father and Son. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. Uh, the Son is in the Father. The Father's in Him. It is this amazing, intimate uh, relationship. And even in the model prayer, when Jesus taught us how to pray, the opening words of that prayer are, Our Father. And so Jesus invites us, us, even you. It's amazing. To approach God not as a God who is distant and somewhere other, although He is almighty and over all, but He is very near and close and intimate. The fact that God is a Father, and if we, we don't start in thinking about God in Genesis chapter 1, because there was a life that God had before the creation ever began. And the life of God as Father was one of outgoing. It was one that was life Giving The way we are to understand the Father's relationship to the Son is that God is one who, who goes out and His love flows out and it gives life. 
I remember one time as a young boy driving down an old country road with my dad. And all of a sudden, he pulls over to the side of the road. And uh, there's nothing on this side. It's open fields. And on this side, it's a row of trees near the road. And, and we get, get out of the car, and we kind of step over an old barbed wire fence. We kind of make our way. And I'm kind of like, are we supposed to be here? I don't know. Fences are here for a reason. I had been taught as a child. But here we step over the fence, and we go through the trees. And there, to my surprise, was this pipe sticking out of the ground in the middle of nowhere. And this water was flowing out of it. My dad described to me it was an artesian well. I'd never heard that word and didn't know what it was, but all it was simply was a continuously flowing fountain of water. That that fountain was doing what it was intended to do, and it was giving forth life-giving water. It couldn't help it, because that was what it was. And God is described by many theologians in the Bible itself in, in words that describe Him similarly as a fountain. That God is such a being that life has to flow out of Him. That is the God that we know. He is an outgoing and life-giving God. And the Scripture reminds us that that giving of life is what characterizes Him as a God of love. God isn't just... He doesn't just have love. When we talk about God being loving, we're not talking about it's just love is one of His many emotions. We talk about God as being as being love. It's a description of His character. God is love. I want to turn a corner here for a second and finish out our time together. The Apostle Paul takes up this, this language in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. And here's what it says very simply. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God as beloved children. In other words, because you are the beloved of God, learn to live your life in such a way that you want to demonstrate your love of God by learning to imitate Him in the choices you make, in the life that you live. That is part of what it is to have Christ formed in you. Be imitators of God as beloved children. So what I want to do in the next couple of minutes is just think about what, how do we embrace the idea this morning again of being the beloved of God. Don't you love that word? I fell in love with the word beloved several years ago, and I love to use it. I try not to overuse it. I'll use it in emails sometimes, and sometimes even with you, but you are beloved. You are the beloved of God. It is so amazing. Let's talk for a minute about what it means to embrace our belovedness. Number one is a word that Monica's already used for us. And it's the word adoption. The new life that Jesus offers us, that we can know and understand fully the relationship that God the Father provides for us. Now, certainly theologically, when we come to Christ, we are adopted into His family. And to try to think about what that might mean, it helps sometimes to go to human relationships. Now, um, I grew up with a single mom. I've, I've not uh, actually walked in my life as a once orphan child, into an adopted family. However, the closest that I've come is when I got married to Susan and her parents kind of embraced me as a son. I remember going up to Victoria, B.C. the week before our wedding. And I remember, um, you know, I was young and pretty confident, um, uh, but I was a little nervous uh, going up there because I knew on the agenda was to go out and play golf with my 
soon-to-be father-in-law. And uh, I've only played golf maybe about four times in my life, and I've never once played golf well. And uh, it's been really a challenge for me, and uh, I've just never taken up the game. And uh, some in this church are trying to get me to play golf more, and I don't know. Um, it's, it's humiliating to me. <laughs> so we go out on the golf course, and I was, you know, jokingly, but I was a little concerned. You know, if I totally embarrass myself, which I knew I would, but after I embarrass myself, what is my future father-in-law going to think of me? Is he going <laughs> to revoke his blessing on marrying Susan? Was he going to encourage me to take the engagement ring and go hawk it because uh, I needed someone else? Because his daughter didn't, she was far too good for me and she is in so many ways. But, you know, we went out, we played golf. I think mercifully it was only nine holes. Thank you, Lord. And I think I only lost five balls along the way. So I offered to reimburse Dirk, and uh, he graciously said no thanks. But what was so great and has been so great after 18 years of being part of that family is that the way that they treat me as a son, and I really think they've approached our marriage as, one, not losing a daughter. You've heard that expression, but really gaining a son. And they've, they've treated me that way in so many ways and because they've given me access into the relational components of their family life. Of the joys and the blessings of knowledge and welcome into the struggles and challenges of life and what it is to be a family. And it's been so great because it's through their embrace of me and their welcome of me, now as their son, in a sense, adopted into their family, that I know what it is to have access relationally to things I would never have otherwise. And that other people... As close as they may be, don't have the same access that I do as a son-in-law to the family. And that is very much the way that it means for us to be adopted into God's family. Because when we come to Christ and we open our life up and we say, Jesus, I want you to be the leader and the centerpiece of all that I am. My future, my career, my marriage... Uh, the decisions I make with my children, the places we choose to move to, everything I want you, Jesus, to be the centerpiece of all that I am and to guide everything that I will become. When we do that, it opens up relationally for us the full capacity of God that we can know God relationally and then we become, we have access to that which God has made available to His children. Uh, the Apostle Paul uses the word in Romans 8 as being heirs and co-heirs with Christ. The great beauty of the resources of heaven and that which awaits us become ours because we are adopted as sons. So what does it mean to become and to embrace our identity as the beloved? In part, it's embracing the joy of being adopted into His family. And then second is learning over time to grow in comfort and being part of God's family. And uh, in our, our passage here, it says in verse 15, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. You see, the focus here isn't the fact that, although it's true that we are a son or a daughter of God, what God's Spirit in us does primarily is it helps set my understanding of who God is. And so God's Spirit in me as a believer and a follower of Jesus now wells up within me to cry out, God, You are my Father. 
And when we set the relationship of who God is correctly, then that begins to give shape to every other facet of our life and every other relationship. These two words, Abba, Father. You may not know this, but Abba was a word in use far before, long before the Swedish rock band ever came into existence. Did you know that? Abba was a word used long before Mamma Mia became a, a staged production. Abba was a, an old Aramaic word, the language Jesus would have spoken when he walked the earth. And it was a word that a child would use when they sit on their dad's lap and they say, Hey, Daddy, and just begin a conversation. It, it's a word that reminds us that God isn't distant, but he's very intimately close with us. And then the Greek word for father is used here. They're, they're put side by side. It's done in another place in Scripture. It's done when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's arrested and taken to the cross. As he begins what may be the most famous prayer in all of the Bible, he begins by saying, Abba, Father. And he launches into that prayer, that great prayer. If it is possible for the great cup of your wrath, Jesus knowing that he being the perfect sacrifice, untouched by sin, unlike you and me. But he, as that perfect person, was about to take on all of the sin of all of the world for all time into himself. He says, Father, Abba, Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass by me and to go somewhere else bypass my life, then so be it. But then he closes with this, but not my will, but your will be done. You know, when I was able to meet with Don and Ann um, some days ago, Don was, was and is and continues to be wrapped in comfort with those closing words of Jesus' prayer. That in the midst of the pain and the anguish that he has gone through in recent weeks and watching Anne uh, lead up to her passing and now into her eternal life, he has held on to those words. He has been comforted by them because they are born out of anguish, but they're settled in the peace of knowing that God, his Father, holds him because God's will will be done. It's so good. God is a loving Father. I know that for some of us this morning as we wrap up, that we may struggle with the idea of God being a Father. Because if we start in the wrong place and thinking about this subject, we can be led to some wrong conclusions. If we start by examining our earthly fathers and through that filter look up to God and think about God as a Father, sometimes that can really skew what we're supposed to understand and to know about God being a father. Because, let's face it, sometimes our fathers aren't the greatest. And sometimes dads, they certainly all, they all will make mistakes, but sometimes they, they abuse children or they neglect children or they're not loving in the way perhaps that they should be. And we can be tempted to think about God as a father in the same way that our dads have fathered us. But that's the wrong starting point. Because we have to... We have to come to God in the way that the Bible has presented Him to us. And He's presented as a Father before anything else. Before the foundation of the world, Jesus said, You loved me, Father. That is how we must start. And so God's, God being a Father, we, we don't come and look at it through the lens of our earthly fathers. It's just the other way around. That fathers should be uh, imitations of God as a heavenly father. God is not a copy of human fathering. Uh, I know what imperfect fatherhood is like because I know myself. 
And so I know that God is a much better father to me and to you than I will ever be to my children. It doesn't mean I don't strive to be good. But human fathers are called to look at and to reflect God's fathering qualities into their own homes and into their own families. God, you see, is a loving father. When you uh, picture God in your mind's eye, I like to do this from time to time for myself as a bit of a calibration tool, understanding and knowing my heart. But when you think about God in your mind's eye, how do you envision Him this morning looking at you? Do you ever think about that question? Do you have a mental picture of God and perhaps what he, the expression that might be on His face is an expression of love? I once asked a Bible study class years ago uh, that same question, and one of the men in there said, disappointed. I, I picture God looking at me with a, a look of disappointment. And so we, we had an opportunity to explore that. My hope today is that maybe you'll take that question, and you might go and reflect in your own private moments this coming week. And uh, you might remember the fact that God is presented to us as a loving Father. We have sung about it, and we're going to sing about it again. Inside your bulletin, let me invite you to pull out this little love letter. It's a Father's love letter. We've provided this for you today so that you can take that home maybe this week and read through it. It's a, it's a compilation of various Bible passages that uh, help us understand who God is as a Father to us. You'll see it opens up as my child. And then the text of it, and you'll see many Scripture references, and then it's signed, Love, Your Dad, Almighty God. And our prayer is that this might be a blessing to you this week in your ex- continued understanding and embrace of you being a beloved son or a beloved daughter of Abba, Father. So this morning... As we close today, instead of our normal invitation, we're going to close by pulling out our music insert. And we've sung already once today uh, the song, Good, Good Father. And so we're going to sing that one more time. And uh, I want to invite you to make that your prayerful response back to God. of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whispers of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. And I've seen many searching for answers.